Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. First uh, Thessalonians, everybody. Uh, chapter 5, we're embarking on together today a series we've called Eminent. Uh, anyone from Team Barley here this morning? Team Barley? Huh? <laughs> Amen. Well, if you weren't here last weekend, you have no idea what that means. Like, at all. Like, you think we're going to start brewing beer or something around here? It doesn't mean that. Uh, it's actually the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, the rapture is what the barley would point to throughout Scripture, and that was so exciting uh, for us to study and to see together. Uh, did men's on Wednesday night. Just love the spirit of what's going on both in the men's ministry and the women's ministry. Uh, bon is up to deck this, this week and uh, going to be teaching with the women Tuesday. And Paul Saber is here with us for Wednesday night, guys. If you haven't ever had that privilege and opportunity to sit under Paul's teaching. Uh, I couldn't encourage you enough to come and be a part of that. We're going to be talking about healing. There's a lot of healing here uh, going on, and uh, certainly in these passages that we'll be studying from the Gospel of Matthew. Paul serves on many boards, Greg Laurie's board and Skip Heitzig's board and Samaritan's Purse and Billy Graham and just got back from London last night. And uh, But this is his home church, and so we love when his schedule allows him to be with us, and that happens to be this uh, Wednesday evening, guys. So even if you're not accustomed to coming, I'd encourage you not to miss um, this, this Wednesday night. Very, very special, impactful time. The next weekend, it's the grand finale of First Thessalonians, just like that. We have uh, wrapped up this amazing little book that Paul uses in such an amazing way to just want to remind this church who they are in Christ, here are the two things we've looked at really over the course of these chapters, who they are in Christ and what is about to happen concerning the return of Christ. And so uh, next weekend, some final thoughts on that. We'll celebrate communion together next weekend and a message about end times beatitudes. We're looking at the beatitudes in our study of the gospel of Matthew, but there's some end time beatitudes uh, that Paul would give to us here as he wraps up 1 Thessalonians. And so that uh, is going to be a lot of fun. But look at, look at to chapter 5 with me, if you would, please. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And then we'll just take a quick little peek over at Romans chapter 13 and do our best to dissect this, continue in the, in the same flow and, and format and subject matter of the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ, really the pinnacle and most exciting climax in all of scriptures and the one that we should find ourselves living for more than we're living for anything else. And so follow along, look at verse one. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And those times and seasons would be the, 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 the events pertaining to this, the promise of the return of Christ, but also he would be using the analogy of the harvest season. And you know the times and the seasons. Oh, it's spring. That means barley. Oh, 
the barley harvest has now been gathered. It's wheat season. Oh, the wheat's been gathered. It's grape season. And so you have, you have, you have no need for me to explain this to you, these times and these seasons. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, unexpected. Now, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be expected. We know exactly when that's going to be lined up with the beginning of the great tribulation. So this is something other than the second coming that he's referring to as showing up unexpected like a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, verse 3, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now again, let me just parse this for you for a second because there's some confusion. Is this passage referring to the second coming or to the rapture? Well, let me just remind you of this. There'll be no peace or safety in the great tribulation. It's, it's going to be hell on earth. And so the peace and safety must be a time and a season leading up to the great tribulation when they're not expecting him to come back. This is all building on where we left off in chapter 4 with a look at the barley harvest of the rapture of the church, okay? And it's going to happen when people least expect it, when they're saying, oh, look, the stock market keeps breaking records. Oh, look, the wars around the world seem to be diminishing. When they say peace and safety, then Sudden destruction comes upon him. And, and this day of the Lord really begins with the rapture. It's not a day per se. It's a season, as Jesus is, is describing to us through the words of Paul as the Spirit is leading him to write this inspiring message to the church. It would be an era of the return of the Lord. It would be a, a, a new realm and a new season to which the rapture begins that day that that season that that era and he's he's not wanting any of that to overtake them look what he says he says the peace and the safety is going to come you know to a crashing halt and sudden destruction comes upon them as a, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape but you, you, brethren, are not in the darkness so that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us not be lured to sleep and ignorantly unaware of what's happening around us. That's what he's getting at here. Uh, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. So here's his, here's his little mini review of what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. This breastplate of righteousness is referred to now as, as what? As a breastplate of of faith. He wants you to have the breastplate would protect the soldier's heart. Covers your heart. And he wants you to have a heart of faith. He wants you to have a heart of love in these last days. 
in these days that are growing darker and darker by the moment, he wants us, his bride, his church, to be wrapped in a breastplate of righteousness that builds in us a heart of faith, a heart of love, a breastplate of faith and love, and, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Helmet goes on your head. Protects your mind, protects how you're thinking, and he wants you to be thinking, listen, he wants you to be thinking saved. Think saved. Think, I'm being delivered out of this mess. That's how you need to think every day. Think, think saved. I think we need to move out of the hopeful camp. You need to move from hope to know. Because a lot of people are like, well, I'm kind of hoping it all works out in the end. You need to move from hope to know. He is giving you his word concerning the end times so that you would know, so that you would have this helmet of protective covering over your thoughts that you would know. And, and here's the big clincher. Listen, church, it just wouldn't be moving from hoping. This is really easy to say. It's hard to do. Move from hoping to knowing and then moving from knowing to acting on what you know. Yeah, right? You with me? Say amen. Amen. This is what we need. This is really what we need. We need that helmet of the hope of our salvation. And not just the hope, but the knowledge that this is all going to end well for those who are in Christ. For God, I'll prove it, next verse, verse 9, God did not appoint us to wrath. That's what's to come. Wrath is to come. It's going to start raining, but not water. But he hasn't appointed that for his church. He hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Team Barley, making shirts, making plaques, <laughs> hounding out little bags of barley. What's that for? Great conversation piece. <laughs> he didn't appoint you to wrath. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him, therefore comfort each other and edify one another. So look how the end of chapter four wraps up. Remember the end of chapter four, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Here the same way, this section out of chapter five ends in the very same manner, therefore comfort each other and edify one another, encourage one another, stoke the fire in each other, build one another up. That's what edify means. Therefore, comfort each other. I think a lot of times, end times messages like this end up being used to freak people out, to scare people. That's not what he says. Therefore, scare everyone. <laughs> Therefore, what? Comfort each other. Edify one another, just as you are doing. Okay, turn to Romans 13. I just want to bookend it with you in a complimentary way. We did it last time in 1 Corinthians. We were in 1 Corinthians 15 last time. As a compliment to 1 Thessalonians 4, I want you to see in 1 Thessalonians 5 a very, very strong compliment for you to see at the very end of lucky chapter 13. Lucky Romans 13. Uh, beginning in verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. Got it? Say, got it? Okay, why don't you stand? Would you stand? Let's stand just in the reverence again of what we're looking at and studying together in God's Word. Would you just, just stand with me here and look at these last few verses, and then we'll, we'll plop down and really do our best to, to put some meat to the bones and connect some dots here and be on our way to a, a great 
a great Lord's Day, uh, beginning with tacos in the courtyard. But I love this little passage here because it gives us application to what we just saw, what we just saw and, and studied together in 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 11. And do this, if you're wondering what to do with it all. Do this. Do what? Watch, watch. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. How many can say amen to that? I mean, all of us, it is nearer now than when you first believed. Of course it is. And it's moving fastly towards its finish line. Okay, so do this. Do this. Do what? Look at verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What day? What day? The day of the Lord. This new realm, this new season is at hand. Therefore, here's what we do. Let us, what? Cast off the works of darkness. And let us, let us do what? Let us put on the armor of light. The armor, the breastplate, the helmet. See how complimentary this is? This is amazing. Look at verse 13. Do this. And let us, what? Walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry or not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife, not in envy, but do this. Do what? Do this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Lord, we pray that You'd help us do that, Lord Jesus. By Your Spirit, we need Your help. And so we pray, Lord, in Your presence, we stand here before You and ask that You would do this. Simply and certainly, by Your Spirit, You'd give us a belief of Christ, a life for Christ, a death in Christ, and an eternity with Christ. That and that alone is what we need, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone said, "Amen, Amen." Maybe seated. So I've uh, back to First Thessalonians. What, what it looks like? What's he really kind of used to describe this this day of the Lord that's coming upon us? Well, what he uses is a pregnant woman. Now I've never been pregnant. My daughter's pregnant right now. Pretty excited about this. Grandbaby number two on the way. We're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Lord, Lord. More, 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 more. Bring him, bring him, bring him. Why'd we wait so long? This is amazing. So she's due. Uh, she was here last night in the front row. I, and uh, kind of like watching her, watching her little tummy grow and so excited for her. And, and uh, I've never been pregnant. Um, I've been around a lot of people who, 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 who have been pregnant. Hannah, my daughter-in-law, and certainly bond with our three kids, and, and, uh, and, and now Annie, a lot of you in the church, um, I, but I, I've never experienced it myself, but here's what I know, here's what I know about every single one of you that have been pregnant. Been pregnant, give me a woo-woo. Okay, here's what you all have in common. Those labor pains, those labor pains that Paul's talking about. They're announcing to you that something's coming. That's what you all have in common. Something's about to happen. There's going to be a delivery. And that's exactly what Paul wants you to know about the day of the Lord. There's going to be a delivery. It's the delivery of deliverance. Hallelujah. That's what he's talking about here. And the question is, are we in love with that? Are we in love with living for his appearing 
Because he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to, the delivery day is at hand. And we got to wake up to that. That's why we're here. We're not still here on earth because we're being penalized. Because it would really be cool on this Sunday morning to be in heaven, to be in your presence, to be singing around your throne. Why are we still here? We're here to wake up a sleepy world. We're here to wake up sleepy hearts. So we got to be awake to wake up a sleepy world. We have to be awake to wake up sleepy hearts. We can't be lured to sleep. We gotta wake up from sleepy habits so that we can penetrate a, a dark and a dying and a lost world before the end comes. Gang, that's why we're here. And, and let me give you some ways in, in which we could do this really, really, really quickly. Wake up a sleepy world, the way we could wake up some sleepy hearts. First of all, jot this down, that prophecy what we're looking at together in, in this passage, in this series called Eminent, prophecy is absolutely the best witnessing tool you have. And the devil knows it, and that's why so many churches don't talk about prophecy. Because prophecy is the best witnessing tool that we have in these last days. And you gotta, you gotta get excited about it. And whether it is just a little teeny bag of barley seed that you hand out to a neighbor and they're like, what's this? You're like, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you need, we need together to wake up to the reality that this is not a subject that should be swept under the rug. But the one that we have studied and that we understand, that we have gone through the scriptures, that we see what God is saying to us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and that this prophecy issue becomes the absolute best witnessing tool that we have available to us. Secondly, this is our hope. This is our hope in hopeless times. That as dark as those clouds are getting over the harvest field of the world, our hope is that we aren't being left to somehow endure the pain and trial and wrath that's to come, but are going to be delivered out of this. The delivery of his deliverance is at hand. This is not your best life, church. We have to stop living as if this is as good as it gets, North County. This ain't it. Your best life is what's to come, and that hope needs to launch us into a world to shake them by the shoulders and help wake them from their sleepiness. Our hope is that he's coming back for us. This is our hope in the most hopeless of times. Thirdly, there is no peace. There is no real peace. There is no permanent peace. They're saying peace, peace, peace and safety. Hey, let's be clear. There is no peace apart from Jesus. He is our peace. Peace isn't a political party. Peace isn't a president. Peace isn't a program. Peace isn't a package. Peace isn't a pill. It's the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He is our peace. He's broken down every wall. And there is and will be no permanent peace whatsoever apart from Jesus. We need to share this with a world that is desperately searching for peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Be at peace. I've overcome the world. Jesus says in a passage that we'll look at in a few moments, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Well, I got this report back from the doc that I wasn't, don't let your heart be troubled. He's on the throne. 
uses everything for good. I heard a pastor share this week in an incident that took place in his church uh, concerning a, a, a suicide on his own staff. He said, your heart could be broken, your heart could be shattered, but your heart shouldn't be troubled because God's on the throne. Don't let your heart be troubled. There is a peace that is only found in Jesus, and it is a peace that passes understanding. We all, we all, here's what we have in common. We all want a peace we can understand. But he gives us a peace that surpasses understanding that I can walk into a hospital room and pray with someone that's on stage four, stage five, stage six, stage seven. Bankruptcy just lost everything. I can walk into that office. I can walk into that hospital room. And there is a peace in the presence of that person that is trusting Christ, a peace that is present that shouldn't be there. I've seen families, dear families in this church that have suffered horrifically and have experienced in that moment the presence of the peace of God. But there is none of that available or affordable to a world apart from Christ. Fourthly, we got to share this stuff. We have to share that worldly possessions won't last. And as much as we want to pile it up as much as we can and build our sandcastles, there is a wave that's coming that's going to wipe out everything that we have thought is so important that we find ourselves living for here. I think this has become the cultural antichrist. And that's nothing new. That's not a new statement. I think it was the cultural antichrist for the Greeks. I think it was the cultural antichrist for the Romans. I just think what was true for Pax Romana is true for Pax Americana, that this idea that the worldly possessions are always going to be around, they're not. They're all, when the day of the Lord appears, all of that burns. So do inventory. Decide, ask yourself, what should I be investing in? What should I be encouraging? What flames should I be fanning with the resources to which the Lord has given me? My own kingdom or His kingdom? Listen, His kingdom is set. And His plans are unchangeable. Please, please know this from my heart this morning. His plans are set in stone. Remember those Ten Commandments? As He wrote them with His finger? He wrote them with His finger in stone so they wouldn't be changed. His plans are unchanging. What He says, He will do. What can change this morning are your plans. Someone grabbed me after the men's service on Wednesday night and said, hey, PB, a few weeks ago, you threw out this dirt field thing through the windows there out on the back field that if we could just somehow pool our resources together and plant grass, it would take our ministry to a whole new level, both for the church, for the school, and our outreach to the community. I'm just wondering, did anybody follow through with that appeal? I said, no. He said, who can I talk to? I mean, I love that heart of faith. For us all to do inventory and say, in these last days, will I be the one that's taking what's been entrusted to me, the talents that I have, and hiding them under my own mattress, or seeing them go forth to be used for the glory and kingdom of God? Because ultimately, number five is this. What's coming is going to forever separate What's on the way will draw the line in the sand and forever separate. That's 
what this season and times that is upon us and even more upon us than upon them when Paul writes to them is going to do. In fact, turn to Luke chapter 12 with me. Can I show you a couple things from Scripture this morning? Let me just show you now what Paul says is simply an echo in both 1 Thessalonians and Romans, these passages we've seen, simply an echo of what Jesus has said. He's not going rogue on this. He is simply now saying what Jesus has already said to be the case and does so in Luke. Look at Luke. Look at Luke chapter 12. We'll just throw it up on the, on the big board if you want, but I would love for you to do this in your Bibles. I'd love you to, um, in the margin, just sort of connect the dots, you know, in your own study time and devotion and looking at these things, because a lot of you jumped in, I think it's great, and studied this whole analogy of the barley being shown from left to right and woven throughout Scripture. That, that was amazing both to you and to me, and to take notes on that and jump into that. So take notes on this. And jump into connecting it to what has been said in Romans, to what's been said in, in 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 35. Words of Jesus, letters in red. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Another way of saying what? Be ready. Do you know the Passover meal was always eaten standing up? With their waist girded, staff in their hand, ready to go. Ready to exit. Get me out of Cairo. Give me out of Egypt, man. That meal was eaten standing up. And that's what he means here. That's what he means. Be ready. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. And when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and he knocks, that they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Surely I say to you that he'll gird himself and will we'll, uh, have them sit down to eat and will come and we will serve them. And, and, and if he should come in the second watch or if he should come in the third watch, isn't that, isn't that fascinating, Bible students? You've got a three-fold picture of this final harvest. You've got a barley harvest and a wheat harvest and a great harvest. And, 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 and here he's saying you've got a first watch, you've got a second watch, and you've got a third watch. It all falls into line. If he would come in the second watch, or if he would come in the third watch and find them, so then blessed are those servants. But know this, the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come that he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Wow. Oh, this is just... Bob, come on, this is, this is just the church looking for a scapegoat, a, a, a trap door. They're, they're looking for a way out. You better believe it is. <laughs> I'd say hell yeah to that. And biblically, I mean it. Yeah, escaping from hell is what I mean. That's exactly what he means. In fact, turn over if you're in Luke there. Look at this, chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, I mean Gosh, he even uses the word in Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 36. Jesus again, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to, what? What? Escape. You better believe it's about escapism. You better be all about escapism in light of what you know is right around the bend, church. Love you with all my heart. Don't want you left behind. 
Don't want you missing out. Hell's hot. Forever's a long time. Dear friends, take inventory. What are you living for? What are you trusting in? All your eggs in one basket. All your seeds in the barley harvest. That's what he's saying. That's what he's wanting to wake us up to this morning. That we would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. You'll stand before the Son of Man. And this notion that it'll be either in the first watch, the second watch, or the third watch. This notion that it'll be in either the barley harvest, or if you want to hang out a little bit longer, you're in the wheat harvest. Good luck hanging out a little longer than that. It'll put you in the grape harvest, the grapes of wrath, trodden underfoot. So there's this separation of the three harvests to come. There's this separation of the three watches that Jesus mentions. And uh, the barley harvest always goes first. The first fruits, the first season of harvesting is always the barley. That's what we looked at last time. Followed by the wheat. And after the wheat, followed by the grapes. Now this wheat harvest, we didn't spend much time talking about it because we were all excited about Team Barley. But this wheat harvest, the wheat gets harvested in a different way than the barley. I think I mentioned that to you last week. And the barley, you just hold it up. You just wave it, like bringing in the sheaves. It gets winnowed. It's the winnowing of the barley, it's the winnowing of the barley in, the, in the wind. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. It's like an under the wind. But when it comes to harvesting the wheat, you don't just hold the wheat up into the wind. You've got to beat the wheat. And that's what happens in the Great Tribulation. In fact, this is pretty fascinating. Here's what I learned. When it comes to harvesting the wheat, they would use an old tool, a fascinating tool, vintage tool. There's still some of them around. So if you see one online and it's for a good price, grab it, would you? It was called the tribulum. And the tribulum was that board that they would use to thresh the wheat. And it would just rip it. It would rip it. It would open it up and and separate the wheat from the chaff. And it was this sled called a tribulum. In fact, it's pictured here. I think we have a picture from the 1800s of a guy behind the ox, literally surfing, pretty cool, on his tribulum. And what he's doing is he, is he is separating the weed out. And the way he would do it was entirely based on what was underneath the sled. Just wasn't a smooth finish under the sled. In fact, here's a picture of one that we found online that a lot of people are grabbing a hold of now because there's this whole kind of resurgence, you know, of the tribulum sled of, of, of the way that the wheat, and certainly it was all, I get it, it was all replaced. You don't have to write me. It was when the combine came out, all this went away, I realized. But in the old-fashioned days, they would have bone or glass or stone that they would have embedded into the bottom of the sled so that when it, when it surfed over, like that guy was doing, over the field, it would separate the weed out. Now, let me just make the point that this is what Jesus was whipped with. Not the board itself, but the very same stone and bone and sharp edges of glass. It was called a cat of nine tails. 
and it would wrap itself around the criminal and they'd pull it back and it literally would leave nine stripes from the nine whips that contained this type of separation of bone and glass and stone across the criminal's back. He endured that for us, not once, but 39 times. So for us believing in Christ, the wheat has already been through the beating. He endured it for us. But this is fascinating that this word tribulum is where we get our English word, anyone? Tribulation. And that's how the wheat in the tribulation will be separated. The wheat from the chaff. Now, if you had intel on that, if you had intel on that, I was talking to Dave Crawford this morning on the way in. He's been with the FBI for a career of 30 some odd years as the uh, firearms expert, and uh, there would be intel briefings that Dave Crawford, when he was in the bureau, would sit under. He's in this room right now, and he's, he's packing. We got more security in this room. So if you're thinking of pulling something off, forget it right now. <laughs> but Dave would sit in on, on intelligent briefings. He would be, he'd be given intel briefings of what's around the corner of what's to come. Now, if you had intel briefings, let's say you had intel briefings on what was going to take place on 9-11. You had intel briefings on 9-9 or 9-10, what was going to happen in 9 you telling me you wouldn't warn your friends in New York? you telling me you'd just, you'd just sit on it? you telling me you would just lure yourself to sleep with a couple of drinks and not warn your buddies? Now, you've been given intel, not pertaining to 9-11, but pertaining to the end of the world, the end of the age. We can't just sit on it. We have to be able to share with people that that enduring wrath has already been handled and covered on our behalf by a loving Lord and Savior who was beat to a pulp like the wheat is. The wheat, when it's harvested, is a wheat that loses its head. And that's how every believer in the tribulation goes out. They get beheaded, according to Revelation chapter 20. We can't just sit on this. We have to share this as if it truly is our most valuable witnessing tool. Or, or what? Or the church can go about changing the narrative, which we become very famous for in movements like, here's a few, amillennialism. Amillennialism. There's a shout out to all you Hank Hanegraaff fans. Let's just say it isn't, it isn't so. Let's just counter and deny what Jesus has now told and shared and, and what we've studied together this morning. Let's just discount it. Let's put an awe in front of millennialism. You put an awe in front of anything and it negates it. No millennium, no millennium. That's what they're doing. Why? So that we don't have to live under the pressure or tension of what we're doing with the intel we've been given. Well, we'll just make, we'll just make believe that it, that it really isn't real, that it didn't happen, or it's all an allegory. Nothing's literal. It all, if it happened, Bob, it happened back in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. It's not what he's speaking of. Or a dominion theology idea. A dominion theology comes along the pike and says, says what? It says, well, the kingdom's already here. The kingdom's already now. Are you kidding me? You're drinking your own bathwater if you think the kingdom's already here. I had a roommate in college who thought we're already living in the millennium. I said, I don't know what's in your pipe. Oh, it's already here. And that takes the pressure off the church from sharing the info that should be the most absolute, best available witnessing 
information that we have. We'll just change the narrative and just try and convince everyone that it, 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 it's already perfect. It's not. Well, if it isn't, then we'll just get the right guys in politics. You get the right guys in politics, and politics is so broken, it'll take the right guy and make him wrong. We can't fix it. Only Jesus can. Replacement theology comes along. Replacement theology, also another narrative that's quite popular out there with millennials and with the Catholic Church, I might add. A replacement theology is that the church has now taken the place of Israel, that all of the promises and covenant that was given to Israel as God's chosen people has now transferred to the church. Well, that's ridiculous if you choose to follow and trust in a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. Or they'll come up with a dual covenant. There's a dual covenant, you know, where, where it's not maybe just replacement, but, but there's, 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 there's two ways. There's a way for them. There's one way. There's not multiple ways. Jesus said, I am the way. Not a way. The way, the truth, the life. No dual covenant. And then everyone will go figurative on me. Oh, it's just figurative, Bob. It's symbolic. It's metaphorical. And before you know it, instead of the verse that starts the Bible saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, now you're thinking it says, once upon a time, because it's all figurative. It's just a tale. Tale as old as time. It's all make-believe. What 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 whatever, you know, or how about this? Let me give you the camp that I think we need to settle in and remain in as a church, and the moment that we drift is the moment you take me out. And that is a literal interpretation of this book as if it truly is inspired and inerrant, without error. It is the literal approach to the Bible that we have gathered together in agreement to trust and to follow with all our hearts. Okay, well then, Bob, if we're taking it all literally, what's literal? Heaven's literal. Hell is literal. The Great Tribulation is very literal, church. It's not some symbolic, metaphorical tale. It's, it's real. The Antichrist is real. The rapture is real. The return of Jesus Christ is literally real. And the thought of you and I being ready, it's time for us to take that literally. But, but this barley thing, come on, you mentioned this. The barley isn't a literal harvest. Well, it certainly is. Yeah, but it's being used metaphorically. Actually, your message last weekend is now defeating your point. It is a metaphor that is literally being used to point to the harvesting of people, to the gathering of a church. Not everybody loved it. Some were like, are you serious? You think the dead are really going to rise first? Literally. I think they're going to pop out of the grave like Eggo waffles. Boom. <laughs> Pop-tarts. Boom. Literally, I was doing a funeral at uh, Miramar, the National Cemetery, for an FBI agent. An FBI agent who also served in the military. So it was full military colors and funeral, 21-gun salute, riderless horse. It, always incredible and, and amazing honor. But I'm thinking the whole time that I'm doing his funeral, lovely man, dear man, spent much time with him in his home before he passed. 
I'm thinking while I'm doing the funeral, Lord, when you come back, I mean, like Pop-Tarts, people are bing, 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 and I'll be popping back to life in this graveyard. And those who are alive, by no means, will go before those who first rise, who died in Christ. Literally? Literally, Team Pop-Tart. But this rapture thing, Bob, I, I just, I hope you know that I could point Here's what one person said. I hope you know I could point to several churches across North County who don't believe in the rapture. This is Bible baloney. This is some new idea. This is actually some relatively current thought within Christendom, this idea that you're spinning where the rapture is concerned. Are you, are you serious with me right now? Have you heard of a guy named Enoch? Because that isn't new. That's Genesis and he gets raptured. Or Elijah, who with the help of a fiery chariot gets raptured, doesn't die. Enoch doesn't die. Both get raptured to meet the Lord in the air. Philip in the book of Acts, not just Old Testament ideas, Philip in the book of Acts is having a grand old time ministering to the masses up in Samaria, and all of a sudden, Pop-Tart, he gets caught up and lands himself on the street outside of Jerusalem headed to Gaza, which incidentally they have just recently uncovered. You could now walk on the pavement of the road that leads out of Jerusalem to Gaza. They just uncovered it. We could walk on it next time we go. This is amazing that the rapture is not a new idea, but has always been around. In fact, turn to John 19. John 19 is a passage that we absolutely love, but I'm not sure that we identify the passage that we love as much as we should with the rapture. Let me just read it to you. You already know it so well. He says this. In fact, I mentioned it earlier. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go. I go. Pop-Tart. Where'd he go? Bing. He ascended from the Mount of Olives and was raptured back to heaven. Are you getting this? This is a rapture passage. And it should cause your heart, in light of anything you might be faced with today, to not be a troubled heart. Because as he goes, you'll go, believers. You'll go. You'll go, Team Pop-Tart. We'll go together like he's gone. If I go to prepare a place for you, if I go, I, I'll come again and receive you. Receive you. What does that mean? It means I'm here. You're there. I'll receive you. Rapture. I'll receive you unto myself. This is amazing. This is the rapture being shown to us as a word of encouragement, not troubling, not freaking people out, not scaring you, but comforting you and edifying you, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul does the same thing. Paul in 2 Timothy. Here's the very last words and testament of the Apostle Paul. What a great godly man he was. And at the end of his life, here's the very last thing that he says. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Please note, this is the first time in Scripture that Paul is speaking in the past tense. 
He's always written in the present tense, in the future tense, what's to come. Now he's looking in the rearview mirror. He's saying, I have fought the good fight. I have hung up my cleats because I have kept the faith and I have finished my race. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. What day, church? The day of the Lord. He'll give to me on that day. And not just to me, but also to all who have, what, say it? Loved Come on, say it. Loved his appearing. Yeah, that's the question. I want you to say it because the question is what? Do you love it? Do you love his appearing? Are you loving, living for his appearing? Gosh, Bob, I don't know. Honestly, I, I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because last weekend you literally lumped me and all my family and all my friends into being left behind. I didn't do that. You have a choice. God's plans are unchangeable. You could change yours. You could change yours right now. You could enter a whole new generation right now. Spiritually speaking, you could join Team Barley by saying yes to the love and forgiveness and grace that Jesus Christ has for you right now. His hands are open wide. They're not like this. They're like this. Come unto me. Come home. I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that to you or your family or to your friends. Well, you threw me in the wheat harp. You threw me into the grapes of wrath. My superpower level doesn't go that high. <laughs> I love this verse, though, that says, if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He'll do what? Lift you up. There's a rapture promise. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. In fact, if you were to take with me, and just for a moment, and we'll close. If you were to take with me a, a, a little comparison between that wonderful passage that we love in John 14 and the passage that we looked at together last weekend in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember what we looked at last weekend in chapter 4? He said, I, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep, those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is exactly what Paul is saying isn't something new. What Paul is saying actually echoes what Jesus has promised. And that very same passage in John chapter 14 and 1 Thessalonians. Look at how it lines up with me. Watch this. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he's like, I don't want you to sorrow. That's complimentary. I don't want you to be troubled and I don't want you to sorrow. In chapter 14, verse 1, you believe? In, in, in 1 Thessalonians, if you believe that Jesus died, believe and believe. Uh, don't be troubled. 
I don't want you to sorrow. He says this in, in John 14, verse 2. He says, in my father's, in, in, in my father's, and in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, even so God, God the Father will bring. There is this beautiful complement between what Jesus has promised he's going to do, the intel that he's giving to you, how it's all going to go down. And what Paul is simply verifying, what he now is echoing, it lines up, lines up, lines up, lines up. Look at chapter 14, verse 2. I would have told you in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this we say to you. Bingo, 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 bingo. Look at the next one. John 14, verse 3. I will come again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The coming, the coming. I will come again. The coming of the Lord. This is fascinating. That in John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says, I will receive you unto myself. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, you'll be caught up. You'll be received. I will receive you. Oh, church, this is good stuff. That in John chapter 14, verse 3, he says that where I am, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that you will always be with the Lord. Could you just put your pen down for a second and give him some praise for what he has promised to do for you, church? Lord Jesus, we honor and thank you in your holy, most gracious name. But we are living in an age and we are living in a season. We are living in a time and days of pseudo-peace of pseudo-peace and safety. So much are we duped into living in a season of pseudo-peace and safety that we'll stop what the government is supposed to be doing so that the government can now investigate exactly what. We wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't a season that's overly sold to us as a season of peace and safety as if we actually have time to set all of the governing aside and invest all of the money and effort of our nation's capital and government on, on nonsense issues. If anything would describe these last days to which the Lord would warn us of and warn us in a way that we wouldn't get caught up in it. It would be the description when he describes this as a strong delusion that has come upon the planet. Don't get pulled down into the muck and into the mire of the strong delusion that has come upon us. And, and I, I think I'm so thrilled and excited, and I think it would do your soul well this afternoon to show up and encourage and be blessed by those kids that are going to lead a time of worship, kids' worship. Because here's the alternative. They could all be marching out in the streets for climate change. You want to talk about strong delusion? As if we have any control of the climate? Are you kidding me? Like that button is in our lap? God controls the climate. And it's a strong delusion to think we've taken his place. It's not us, it's him. And we want to take his place, but it truly ultimately all comes down to him. And the question is, when it comes down to him, are we living for that? Are we loving living for that? Are we loving living for his appearing? I even get scared for my friends in Israel. There's a strong delusion when you get too excited about a temple that's going to be rebuilt. 
wait a minute, I'm excited about that. How is that temple actually going to be used, my good friend? What strong delusion there must be in the water for us to get excited about how a temple being rebuilt is actually going to be the demise of Israel when an antichrist who has pulled the wool over their eyes sits himself down on that throne in the temple and demands the whole world to worship him. Be careful about what we get excited about and what we should be excited about more than anything else is the soon and coming return of the Lord. The band's chomping at the bit to play. And I love it, but just will you give me a moment? I just want to seal the deal. Turn to Psalm 37, and they're going to play behind us as we just look at this, and, and I won't be long, I promise, but but I just want to verify scripturally what we have seen from the heart of King David in Psalm 37. And why don't you stand? Let's stand. We're going to sing anyway. For here is how the Lord would inspire David to put pen to paper and describe even the days to which you and I find ourselves living. In Psalm 37, he says, Do not fret. Because of evildoers, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness and delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he'll bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justness as the noonday. So rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers will be cut off, and those who wait on the Lord, they'll inherit the earth. There's a beatitude for you. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Lord, we do that as we stand in your presence. And if there's a single soul in the sanctuary that's not at peace, may you flood them with the peace that passes understanding. Lord, would you cause for them to call on your name? Even as we saw last weekend, here it is, gang. If you will simply believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And there will be a peace even in the midst of us dog paddling in troubled waters, there will be a peace that passes understanding. If you've never made that choice, if you've never made that decision, if you've never called on the name of Jesus, I would so encourage you, please, I beg you, Give him your life, past, 
present and future say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I thank you for sending Jesus who saved me from my sins. And Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord of Lords and my King of Kings. Write my name in your book of life. I want to join Team Barley. I want to pop up to meet you in the air, whether I'm living or whether I'm in the grave. I want to live in faith. I want to die in faith. Lord, I want to spend eternity with you. I want my guilt taken away of all that I've done wrong, and I want to know that I'm going to spend eternity with you best way I know how I stand and I give you my life I'm yours and you are mine in Jesus name and all God's people said amen amen thanks for joining the Horizon Church podcast with Pastor Bob Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service. Or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org slash live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.